So then we start identifying some things that get in the way of what you value and care about and then what you do to move away from the stuff that gets in the way. What we usually get to is you see how these behaviors on the surface, you know, if I were to look at them, I wouldn't know what the value is there. I don't know the intent of you taking a deep breath before a swing. But if it's in service of nervousness, then are you actually moving towards what you value and care about in that moment? So that's when we, that's when that is like, oh, so my, I can have the same behavior and it can be a quote unquote away move or a toward move. That was Billy Ryan. And this is Mentally Flexible. Welcome to Mentally Flexible, where we have meaningful conversations to help you build mental flexibility. I'm Tom Parks. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, and in each episode, I'll be talking to people who inspire me most on topics related to psychology, mental health, and creativity. My hope is that through these conversations, you'll better understand yourself, others, and the world around you. Thanks for being here, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. My guest today is Billy Ryan. Billy is a performance psychology consultant located in Savannah, Georgia, who works with the military, sports teams, and individuals at the high school, college, and professional level. He specializes in applying act and behavior science to increase meaning and performance in a given context. Some of the topics we explore in this episode include how Billy first got into using ACT for sport performance, the importance of language and messaging in sports, the use of the ACT matrix in his work with athletes, the role of attention and holding outcomes lightly, the current influence of mental and emotional well-being in sports, and Billy's hopes for the future of ACT within the world of sports. It's so good to know there are people out there like Billy bringing ACT into this area of life. If you're at all interested in sports, you're going to love this episode. Thanks so much for doing this, Billy. And thank you all for being here and listening to the podcast. I can't believe it's already 2022 and we're 30 episodes in. I'm looking forward to bringing you more great conversations this year. Uh, And as always, if you'd like to support the show, you could do that in a few ways by subscribing, leaving a review, or sharing an episode with a friend. That'd mean a lot to me. And okay, well, let's get into the episode with Billy Ryan. I appreciate you being here. For sure. Yeah, I'm super pumped to be here, especially to start the new year. It's a really cool opportunity and time to have a conversation. Maybe a good place to start is... uh, just sharing a little bit about yourself. Could you give us a brief intro on who you are and what you do yeah. and maybe what is bringing us here together today? Yeah, yeah. So let's see the timeline. So my name is Billy Ryan. I'm a performance psychology consultant. Um, I grew up in Greenville, South Carolina, and then wanted to play football really bad growing up. I didn't care about anything else other than playing football. Uh, so I just picked a school that I could go to and, and walk on. And walking on in sports, you pretty much just show up and ask, can I play with you guys? <laughs> um, so I did that and then uh, played football at Charleston Southern for four years. And then I was getting my degree in political science. And then I realized that wasn't for me and switched to psychology just on a whim. And then it all kind of started to come together. Um, I, I struggled in football uh, just with how to understand interactions with coaches and uh you know, a lot of, I just didn't have the tools to kind of handle the pressure of performing. So I started getting an interest in that. And then, uh, that kind of shifted towards, I wanted to learn about this stuff called sports psychology. And, uh, so I started looking up schools to, to figure out how to go about doing that. And then got done with uh, undergrad, didn't get into any schools. And I was like, okay, so I started working a part-time job. And then, uh, luckily, uh, got into Georgia Southern for their graduate program in sport and exercise psychology. Mm-hmm. And then that was great. The first semester was really illuminating for a lot of things I was struggling with, with football. And then once I got done, my, it kind of, my aim kind of shifted a little bit towards, uh, not as much trying to learn about my stuff, 
but trying to help other people or just assist other people in high performance. And then from there, went and worked with the military for four years. And that was in Alaska and Georgia. And now I have my own company called Aware Performance Group. And I work with athletes and coaches uh, on performance and uh, finding meaning within their sport and just doing their best to help them enjoy what they're doing and also really try to use some science to help them get better in the most efficient way possible. Mm. And the, I think a part of that that might be helpful for listeners because a lot of people come from this space is act as a big part of what you infuse in the work that you do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the... So I was, uh, I'll, 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 I guess I'll describe it with a story. Um, so when I got the job with the military as a, just doing performance psychology for different units and conventional forces. Um, when I got there, I was, uh, partnered or not, not officially partnered, but we became partners, uh, with Dr. Emily Lehman. She got her degree at university of Nevada, Reno in, mm-hmm. uh, applied behavior analysis and was in, uh, Steve Hayes lab and, uh, I didn't realize what kind of gift I'd been partnered with because uh, yeah. I showed up uh, pretty headstrong on a lot of the ideas that I had. And then she gently was kind of shifted me from kind of like a very eclectic theoretical background of just doing stuff that sounded good <laughs> to then slowly infusing some act into there. And then as soon as I started to see like the, just a lot of the switches um, from more traditional CBT being applied to sport to act being applied to sport and performance. I really was like into it. And then, so I was luckily to be trained by her for three years, pretty much every single day. Cause we did a lot of cool work together um, with the military. So she taught me how to use act in a training method, not as much as a therapy method. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm also not qualified to, to do therapy in that, in that sort of space. So I just use it in a training in a training way. And luckily, uh, she trained me up on that. Uh, props to her for uh, putting up with me during that whole process. But, yeah, so she trained me up in ACT, and I use that with athletes and coaches and organizations to help them get the most out of their training. Wow, that's so cool. So what was that? What stood out about using ACT with the military during that time and things you were learning and how it was applied? Yeah, so I for the first like while I didn't use a lot of act with the military. Um, there's a lot of things that kind of show up in that space to, um, provide exactly what you want to provide. So there wasn't a whole lot of act with the military, but I was at the same time working with, working with coaches and athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, some of the things that for me that really stood out to me was, uh, when I watched, cause I was like, how do I get into this stuff? You know, I, I, I want to learn the, like philosophy and the science. I don't want to just saying, Hey, let go of the rope. You know, all this (laughs) stuff. I didn't even know what it meant. (laughs) So, uh, she sent me some like resource and one of them was, uh, mental breaks for mental breaks, the Mm -hmm. Ted talk by, uh, Steve Hayes. And, uh, he gets to a a part in the, in the, he's talking about different ways to kind of make space and make room for uncomfortable thoughts. And, uh, he's saying like, Think back to when you were, you know, when you can like remember yourself well, maybe you're like five years old, and some of the clothes you used to wear and what you were doing, maybe you're playing your sport if it's, you know, in a sporting context. And then that five-year-old version of yourself is sitting across from you. And uh, now think about all the thoughts that you have that are, you could label as bad or negative thoughts that you don't like. And imagine them coming out of the five-year-old version of you Mm. and it just like crushed me (laughs) like Mm. in a good way because I really felt um compassion and and empathy toward myself Mm. and that isn't something that had like had genuinely happened and I was like okay there's something here Mm. that I experienced and now I'd like to learn Mm. a bit more behind some of the science there so that was kind of one of the first moments I can remember being in my apartment in Fairbanks Alaska when it's like negative 40 and dark Mm. and I'm watching this guy talk about his pain and turning towards it. And I was like, wow, this is really useful. And then I found utility for me. And then that is one of the moments where I really wanted to learn more about that. And that was about four ish years ago. And I remember it today very vividly of what that experience was like. 
Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. There seems to be a really uh, similar journey that a lot of us go on where something Mm. really connects with us personally first, and then we're able to build out from that place to help others. But when you have that experience of it really connecting with, uh, with yourself first, it's much more meaningful, right? Yeah. It was, you know, the, I think we all have a tendency to, you know, get really up close with our thoughts and we really want to buy into the good ones and uh, want to just try to ignore the quote unquote bad ones. And uh, that's definitely something that I was in the habit of doing. And once I realized like it doesn't have to be that way, we can have some space between there and you're not your thoughts. You have the ability to see them. It was just a really cool experience for me to see, Oh, well now this is huge because I can see how this applies to sport. To me, it was almost instant just because mm-hmm. that's the, the, the area that I'm in. So yeah, the, I just I, I always wish I had some of the knowledge I have now <laughs> when I was when I was playing, but who knows? Maybe I would have been too stubborn to listen anyway. Same. I mean, I was <laughs> I was really into sports too when I was younger, and mm-hmm. I think back on how useful a lot of this would have been when I was younger. Um, baseball was my main sport, and how much just my own uh, relationship to my inner world and. Uh, things not going my way and mistakes and criticism or like all of that just played such a dominating role in how I performed. And that was never really talked about. And now when I look at the sports I play now, whether it's golf or tennis, I'm, I'm not good at them by any means, but I'm a lot better and it goes a lot. Uh, it's just a much richer experience using some of these tools within sports that I wish I had when I was younger. Yeah, I think, and that, that's, I'm glad you mentioned the sports too, because I think the, you know, the, as a context shifts, like as for, for my role, I'd be very aware of like the, I guess the traditions or the standards in each sport. So like a, a sport like baseball is like heavily routine based and, and that, uh, that cultural like zeitgeist around baseball is like, you know, it could be perceived as becoming somewhat rigid when, it's so routine based and, you know, superstition show up. So it's like each different sport has its own, uh, like social current you have to know before hmm. you step into it and start trying to swim against it super fast. Hmm. Or like for baseball, you know, being very routine based and for golf, uh, you know, it's very formal and things are set in a certain way that you do things. And that can kind of really easily like kind of go through the, barrier of the skin to be internally rigid and mentally kind of routine when sometimes that's not the the best answer when you're, when you're out there and you're in it. Oh, wow. So almost like how as a therapist, I have to really take time to get in the context of the person's life and understand where Mm -hmm. their culture and spiritual traditions and beliefs and the whole, yeah, the whole milieu of their life before you, you, you get, you start moving things. You have to do the same thing with even just each sport has their own unique context that you really have to understand before trying to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess I'm kind of lucky in that regard where, you know, I still, the individual is still the, the number one priority, yeah. but to know what they're surrounded by is, is really useful um, because we can kind of get ahead of, if I'm, if I just start working with a, let's say with a professional golfer and we, we just start, you know, being aware of some of the things that are going to be contradictory to what we're talking about. Like the, you know, the paradox of control. Like if you try to control your whole golf swing, you're not going to be in a good place. (laughs) And it's like, if you try to control your whole internal state while you're playing, that is also going to probably put you in the not best, not best spot to just get out there and play the way that you you practice. So yes, definitely. uh, It's very interesting. Uh, in using act because a lot of it doesn't align with uh, kind of the mainstream messages that are put out in sport about you know, being mentally tough and mm. gritty all the time. And mm. you know, that's just, we just know that's just not realistic mm. the way that it really goes uh, most of the time. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. There's still a lot of hanging on to old, uh, messaging within the sports world that just is counterintuitive to what makes you most effective and fluid in the game. So so that just kind of made me think about, um, I'm still really trying to to learn more and more about RFT and language and how important it is. And just the, 
everything that goes into human cognition. And uh, that's one thing that uh, just being a member with ACBS, they have a special interest group that is on sport. And it's really cool because it's just a bunch of people that want to apply active sport, just get together and talk for an hour once a month. Wow. And it's really, it's really cool because it's just like, no one's getting money out of this. No one's getting, you know, there's no, uh, the only reward is just knowledge and everyone wants to learn so they can apply and help other people. Just, it just has to be in a sport setting. So that, that resource has been really good for me too, because I get to learn about this stuff with a bunch of other people and then go apply it. We will go apply it for a month and then talk about it and, and see how it goes. But one thing that I, that I think is in sport and, um, life in general too, but really being aware of how much language can amplify the moment mm. for the good or for the bad. Mm. Um, because that's one of the big things that makes us different from a, a monkey or a chicken is mm. they're not thinking about what could happen. They're mm. just seeing what's happening. Mm. And, uh, it's just, that's just such a hard thing to kind of learn and then start applying. And that's what I've seen in sport where people get the most meaning is when that language can just kind of chill out a little bit mm-hmm. and the behaviors are what they can witness instead of the, you know, overbearingness of our thoughts and anxiousness in those, those big moments in sport. Yes. So cool. So I'm interested. What does, I know this might change sport by sport, athlete mm-hmm. by athlete. And um, if they're, you could take whatever example you want, but what would it look like when a client comes and wants to work with you? Like, what do you, yeah, take me through what it might look like, the work that you do. Yeah. So uh, I'll just use an example just for, with my own company. And uh, so, and we'll just go with golf. Golf, I've just naturally expanded into the golf world. I wasn't really uh, intentional. I love to play golf and I'm again, not super good, but um, it's fun to, to work in that space. So we'll say just with a, with a golfer, maybe it's through word of mouth with one of the clients I'm working with now. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually how it goes is um, I'll just talk to them, talk to them on the phone first, just to get an introduction and kind of give a basis of my approach and philosophy, just like very loose and just, you know, I'm not trying to change who you are. I'm not trying to, you know, turn you into this certain type of athlete. We're trying to work with what you got and, and, and use that instead of reaching for other external stuff and then from there if they decide they want to work together then uh we start and a lot of it's been remote for the past you know two ish years um just due to circumstances so then we'll jump on a facetime and uh usually most people in this context and just with my company most people want to do the work (laughs) so that makes a that makes a big difference right yeah somebody actually wants to do it is it's not like somebody's being referred to me and then they have to talk to me. Um, but sometimes I'll, uh, just to get the point across, do a little bit of like, you know, what have you tried in the past? And, uh, you know, the, the term creative hopelessness is seems like a bit extreme, but I can see how it can be useful, but I kind of use that a little bit of like, you know, what have you tried before? And how's that worked out? And usually the answer is, you know, I try to control my thoughts. I try to, regulate my emotions. I try to do all this stuff and it doesn't really work that well. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, so you're open to something different. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah. And then that's where we really start. And I, I like to start with the act matrix. Are you familiar with that? Mm-hmm. Cause I think it's really good, especially in the sporting world, because it's like, you got four boxes in front of you. You got a circle in the middle that says notice. And there's some questions. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just very like, this is where we're going to start. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I use that to really, start highlighting how important language and behaviors are mm-hmm. and being aware of if you're moving towards what you value and care about, or if you're moving in a way mm-hmm. or if you are moving in a way and that kind of basis kind of, it sets the framework of, of where we can go because, you know, in sport, if, if you value, you know, some, some of the things that a, a client might value is being disciplined and, you know, in golf, some people value their swing looking good. All these things that go into that. So then we start identifying some things that get in the way of what you value and care about and then what you do to move away from the stuff that gets in the way. Mm. And then slowly starting to see, like, do you see how this, uh, and obviously this is a much longer process, but the what we usually get to is do you see how these behaviors on the surface, you know, if, if I were to look at them, I wouldn't know what, 
the value is there. I don't know the intent of you taking a deep breath before a swing, mm-hmm. but if it's in service of nervousness, then are you actually moving towards what you value and care about in that moment? Mm. So that's when we, that's when that is like, Oh, so my, I can have the same behavior and it can be a quote unquote away move or a toward move. Yes. And then that base is kind of where we start. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd like to see like, you know, is this person really avoidant in their sport or mm-hmm. are they really open or are they not values based or it kind of just gives me an idea to, to know how to work within their world. Um, because I'm sure you've experienced like something that has really resonated with you. Like for me, like values are really strong with me mm-hmm. and I've made the mistake plenty of times before of like, you know, going into one area and they're just kind of like, you know, that, that's not where I'm at right now. But yes, so that's why I like to start with the matrix because you get a little idea on uh, four components. And then from that session, I just say, look, go notice stuff about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, go notice, see what you do when, you know, you're practicing and you are frustrated. What do you go to? What's your mm-hmm. go-to move? Like you throw a dip in, do you grind it out more? Do you take a break? Cause mm-hmm. we need to see what some of these tendencies are behavior. So that's kind of where we, where I start. And then from there, it's just, we just flow into the, the process of, being authentically you and and getting better. Yeah. That's so cool because for, I'm sure for a lot of people, even taking into consideration the roles, the role of your emotions and your thoughts and what you do when uh, certain sensations show up or what your behaviors are attached to is all new information because in the sports world, it can be so like, we're talking about these like platitudes that show up. A lot of it can just come down to like, try harder. (laughs) And, mm-hmm. and something like golf that never works, right? Like that's right. Yeah, and, and you take a lot of these, uh, you know, cliches or whatever you want to call them, and that's very true. You break them down to the core of what it's actually saying, and it's just saying, "Do what you're doing more." <laughs> and like professional sports are really hard, and that's not how most people get to quote unquote success on the court. Isn't by just yeah. doing it more. There's mm-hmm. a lot of flexibility and and uh, moving and trying to be agile in the way that you approach things. And, uh, and that's, that's not to say that, you know, routine is, is bad, but when you use the same routine and you're consistently not getting uh, behaviors that would lead to a good outcome, that's where it's like, you're knocking on the same door, expecting it to open for five years instead of just kind of peeking around and seeing, is there other ways that I could go about this process? Yes. Yes. Um, And, and in sport, it's, it's such a trap because, especially I'm just thinking about just in the, the young professional athlete that isn't a superstar, but knows that they have skill is you've used your approach to get success. And now you're not moving forward anymore, which is really frustrating. Mm. So it's like, well, what do I, what are my options? And a lot of people are just like, I'm just going to grind and I'm going to keep going. And that's a fine mentality to have in the background. But when that is now the focus instead of the sport, it's just the sport becomes like a, you know, just an avoidant thing where I'm just trying to grind, grind, grind. And then I did all this work. So now it's time to, to perform instead of taking it a bit. Uh, I've, I've heard the term being loosely attached. Yes. And that is just so useful to help people still be a person and yes. be an agile and participate in your in your sport. Yes. Yeah. There's so many things that show up with how I apply act or would guide somebody else in life in general, that when you apply it to sport, like what you're saying, holding on to things a little bit more lightly, that has been one of the most useful things in playing sports. That's helpful in life where let's say I'm playing tennis with somebody. And again, I'm not very good at tennis, you would see, but just I'm getting better. And I've realized with tennis that as long as you have somebody who's somewhat in the same arena as you, then it's really fun because you can push each other and stuff. So, but to be able to hold both parts of you equally true that to take it seriously, like be a real competitor and take it seriously. And at the same time, also not take it seriously and realize it's a game and hold both of those strong. Cause it's so easy to lose yourself in one side or the other where you're taking it so seriously and you're not fun to play with. And it's, you're just stressed at the end and, mm. or you're not taking it seriously. You're sort of hedging your bets and it's just a game, but then you're not a good competitor and you're not growing, but to be able to hold both of those places equally true, I, I see as an amazing way to view life in general too. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the, the, the separation and, but also knowing like both are a part of you, mm-hmm. but it, you don't have to be one all the time across all contexts, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, you know, when, when you notice that you're, the game you're playing is no longer a game to be played. It's a game to be figured out. Like that is, can be, you know, obviously there's in sport, you do need to have that a bit of analysis and problem solving going on. But when the whole thing is a problem to be solved, that can get in the way of being able to use all that training that you've done in the past to, to show up the way that you want to. Yes. And especially in things where there's a lot of, time like golf is another one we'll come back to because it sounds like we both play and that one i feel like is so much more challenging because you have so much space in between each shot each Mm -hmm. time you hit a ball that the uh the ability to rise up into your head and and problem solve what went what just went wrong and what you need to do in the next one and how much that can gunk up the whole flow of the process that's a little that uh maybe in some other sports like tennis or basketball where it's, you're constantly moving. I think that's one of the things that make golf so much harder, right? You can jump into that problem solving mode. You have so much space for it. For sure. Yeah. Because with golf, it's, you know, it's a closed circuit. So you start the thing. You don't just get to react. You don't have the luxury of getting to react. You Mm -hmm. hit the ball and that's it. There's no, there's nothing you can do. You can talk to your ball as much as you want, but it (laughs) it probably won't listen um, all the time. So that is a, that's a great way of, you know, distinguishing the differences. Like in sports where you get the luxury to react, usually if it's quick enough, your brain can't even notice the thoughts that are happening to begin with, if they're functional or not. Mm-hmm. But when you're walking up to the ball, we're just assuming you know, you know, you're walking, like that's a time where a lot of stuff can show up. And And one of the, one strategy that, uh, I use is the it's a it's a common one that shows up a lot, but uh, of your attention being like a flashlight. Mm-hmm. And I think to really extend that metaphor accurately, you have to be very precise on what type of flashlight you're using. Mm-hmm. It's not one on your phone where you just turn it on and turn it off. That's not functional, and that's not reasonable <laughs> on mm-hmm. how how our attention works. So you know when you're and and everybody is is a little bit different in, in how this goes goes for them but you know, you're walking down the fairway and you're thinking about everything that's that's fine i, I don't know the individual um, but you're thinking about everything that's fine and you're processing things and then when you stand over the ball if that flashlight is still wide open like one that you can adjust and make it bigger or smaller if that's still wide open for you and, and that's what you want that's great but what i really try to work with is noticing if that flashlight tightens on certain things mm. you get over the ball and maybe some of your tendencies is to push it left mm. so you say, let's not push it left and then you're in that and that's where the flashlight is mm. over time it's like starting to just become aware of like you have the ability to like either widen that aperture out or you know maybe move it around a little bit but just like in a in a room if you're up against a wall with a flashlight it's there's nothing showing up and then as you step back, gain a bit of perspective, you start illuminating everything that could be on the wall. Mm-hmm. Um, so then a way to tie that in, into commitment for some people is, you know, you're, you're seeing everything, what the shot could be, what you, what you could do on this hole. And then once you make the decision, then you step in with your attention to commitment to the behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like a metaphor I like to use of like actively the metaphor stepping into and the actual behavior is committing to um, at the same time. So that's one thing that I try to do is take all that stuff that we can process. That's fine. Be aware of all that. Um, and just because you narrow your flashlight doesn't mean that stuff goes away. You're just not, that's not where you're, uh, you're not doing things in service of all that other stuff. It's yes. the, trying to get as behavioral as, as possible. Yeah. And even the awareness that you have some agency over where your flashlight uh, shines and how yeah. how uh, wide or narrow it is is a huge thing because when you know when I and maybe this is just from being young but at least when I was you know playing high school sports and under I don't even I think I was just a victim to wherever that flashlight wanted to go and I never once sort of realized that you have a lot of say in how you navigate that 
Yeah, yeah, and, and that's it's a really cool thing to notice be the before and after. Uh, in in terms of, I've had a lot of my clients be like, I, like back then, you're just referring to past experience. It was just like wherever my thoughts took me, I just followed. Yep. Like that was the leader. And I'm like, God, I, I, I can just like that just doesn't feel <laughs> great. That's just not something that sounds very enjoyable. Um, yes. And so it's like you know, I, I really value improving performance and, you know, I can get very behavioral and all into that stuff, but I also really value like meaning and not necessarily joy, but just being okay and not hating the process of what you're doing at the same time. Yes. Uh, perform great. And then behind the scenes are not, they're not, uh, enjoying exactly what's going on as much. So I like to take both sides um, and, and really make sure that, yes, we're doing this in benefit of performing and all that stuff, but also like, let's make sure that this is meaningful and enjoy it. And, you know, you're, you're having enjoyment during this process too. Um, but so each, like every session I have isn't all like, you know, guns blaze and let's get you better. Some are like, you know, let's sit back a little bit and see, you know, are these behaviors actually in service of what you want? And if they are, then great. Let's keep on, keep on going. Yes, because that perfectionism trap in sports, must, it can be a really hard one because you'll just start resenting whatever you're playing. Yeah, especially when the outcomes aren't leading to what you want. And that's one thing yeah. where I've learned recently um, from a lot of behaviorists out there. And that's one area I'm really trying to learn more about is, you know, it's not the, the outcome is not the behavior the the behavior is what led to that outcome and that is that's not hard to understand but the what is hard to understand is being able to separate the two of like one you're not the outcome yes performer you're you're not that outcome you're a collection of things that you value and care about and you know those can go into behaviors but the quality of behavior is something that is just so important to be able to measure and, and pay attention to in the sporting world, not the quality of outcome. So, you know, for baseball, yes. like it could be on base percentage and, you know, that number is useful, but if you're an organization looking at individuals, you want to make sure that the quality of those behaviors are high, not that it's, you know, it could be some fluke or whatever. There's extra stuff that gets you on base we really want to make sure that the quality of that behavior is sound. And that kind of helps me sum up things with my clients and be like, yes, these outcomes are important, but over time, the we're not using outcomes to get predictive measures on. We're using those behaviors and the commitment to those behaviors to get those outcomes that we can pay attention to whenever we want. Yes. And that's where things that lesson has different levels of importance or relevance in different sports too, because that makes me think back and in baseball, I was a pitcher and that was, that would have been such an important thing for me to really lean into because when you're pitching, it's so the outcomes are often very disconnected Mm -hmm. from your behavior, your pitch, you could have a great pitch and especially in something like high school (laughs) baseball. And then there's a tip, uh, just like a standard fly ball and someone makes an error. And if you're judging your yeah. quality based on the left fielder being able to catch a fly ball or not, and that's how you're assessing your worthiness or how well you're doing. It's, it's, it really gunks things up where in golf you have a, you know, you, there can be things that get in the way outside of your control, but it's a little bit more difficult to relate to the outcome in the same way. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like uh, maybe level one of how a lot of people might view things right that there might be that that uh uh, discrepancy between behavior and outcome and that let's say that's clarified with some i think a lot of athletes at a a high level a a lot of them and even at whatever level i think a lot of athletes understand that idea so then it's like okay so let's get one level deeper into that so now i got all this stuff that shows up mentally that gets in the way of these behaviors that i want to really do and that is where uh you know you and me and people that are in the psychological world, that's kind of where we thrive in terms of, you know, you have stuff that's happening internally and what do we do? What do I do with this stuff now? And in sport, there's so much emphasis on control that that's the go-to. And most people, the go-to is just 
how can I control this? How can I limit this? How can I regulate thinking, emotions, breathing, whatever I can control, just let me control, please. I mean, there's cliche of control the controllables. It's like, Hmm. that doesn't even need to be a thing. Like we don't Mm -hmm. need to worry about what areas we're placing control. And like, what does that even look like attentionally? Like, am I controlling the controllables? I got 10% here, 25% here. And you can see how that just brings us to a, uh, an area where it's kind of like a cul-de-sac where it's like, we just keep going and I can control this and then I can control that. And it's like, okay, what about letting go a little bit of what you Mm -hmm. want to control? And then seeing like, you have the permission to do that. You don't have to be, you know, to use a classic act example, you don't have to be in a tug of war with your thoughts and emotions. Because what's the, what's the win? If we're in a sporting world, what's the win? If you dominate sadness, what's the, what's the win? And usually there isn't much of a win. Maybe there's some relief in the moment, but three days later, that sadness is going to show up with a bunch of its friends and get a lot closer than it was when you had that, when you had the awareness to, to mm-hmm. deal with it. So kind of one thing that I really try to do is like, you know, control and all the things that's fine. But when we start trying to be very uh, internal about what we control, then that can kind of get us into some trouble. And now we're doing things in service of thoughts of doubt instead of the 10 plus years of training you have in your sport. And it's, yes, I, I think it's a, it's more of a, it's not as easy to, to digest, but I think it's deeply optimistic. And, you know, I have hope and belief that your behaviors across this time will lead to the behavior that you want in the moment. And we don't need yes. you to get, like, you can have the thought of, I can't do this and do it. Like, we can yes. do that right now with anything. So just knowing, like, your internal world and external world do not have to match when it comes to the time to performance. Like, they, to perform, they just don't have to match. Like, if, you, mm. if every single athlete in the moment was like, I'm going to nail this, and then they do it, <laughs> we wouldn't, as fans, we wouldn't care as much, right? Because it's like, mm. it'd be so easy. But what makes us you know, get goosebumps on our skin and, and love and react in moments where people do really hard things in high pressure situations is we know that they're experiencing doubt or we know they're mm-hmm. experiencing something that is making this hard and then they overcome it. And that's amazing. Love yes. It. But we feel like we, for then you can trick yourself into thinking that everyone else is allowed to be like that, but us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's one of the, that's a, a big thing in, in sports too, is the survivorship bias of, People have been very successful and they say what they've done. And then from what they say, what they've done in a situation to be successful. And then we want to copy that. But mm. unfortunately what we don't see is the thousands of other people who've tried what they do and they don't make it. Yes. So that's a, that's a big uh, hurdle to get over is like, yes, I know so-and-so uses visualization, but there's probably you know, 10,000 other people that use that too. And they, they didn't get to where they wanted to go. So, you know, I'm all about, if you want to work on a technique, we can do that. That's fine. But let's just make sure what we're doing is in service of what you actually care about, not what so-and-so did or what they talk about. So that's one thing that is really um, unique. And, and when I first start working with people is, is maybe a, a bit of a challenge to be like, you know, I know they do this stuff, but you also don't know the, the thoughts that are going on when they lay down at night. So we don't know mm-hmm. what's functional and what's not. So for you, let's really focus on, you know, what authentically shows up for you and what can we do to work with that instead of just trying technique after technique after technique. Cause that is, that's the worst. When you tell someone you can control your thoughts and your thinking and your emotions, and mm-hmm. then they keep trying and then the outcomes aren't working. Now it's their fault. Mm-hmm. A lot of people see that. And instead of being like, yes. we don't have to figure all these things out. We can just, uh, be open to to what shows up and, and really work on being like a powerful observer in the moment mm-hmm. rather than trying to control everything that's that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes me think how a lot of what we're talking about is how you've, you and people that do the work that you do take act, which is often used in therapy and realize how to apply that to help somebody in sports and the flip can be done too. I'm thinking about how, my knowledge of certain sports has been incredibly useful working with people in therapy because you can sports are such a good metaphor mm. for life. Like 
I was just thinking about um, a, a youngster I'm working with who's really into baseball and how what, how my understanding of how baseball works has been so useful in building up psychological flexibility processes and outside of life. Cause when a, even having them connect with what it's like being at the plate and being able to have people in the crowd and people on both dugouts yelling at you. And those can be voices happening around you that you don't have to like believe everything it says or uh, respond to mm-hmm. that and helping them see how their own thoughts can be just in more characters around them Mm -hmm. in the stands or in the dugout has been so useful to apply in other areas of life when they're at school or socially or what what have you. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Like your knowledge of how uh, a knowledge of how certain sports work dynamically can be really useful in therapy too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I think the kind of what you described is, you know, using a little bit of, uh, like process of diffusion of, you know, the, the, that's a cool way of looking at it. Like your thoughts can be other people in the crowd too. Like, you know, if you reacted to every single thing, somebody in the crowd said, that's going to be, you're not going to play baseball at all. If you have a somewhat rambunctious crowd, you're going to be talking to every single one of them and arguing with them. And then nine innings, nine innings have gone by and you haven't even been in the moment. You've just been <laughs> in the crowd. Uh, and then another way to extend that as well is one thing that I, that people have told me has, has been useful for them is, uh, and I'd love to do this actually with a, with a team um, someday. I might be able to do it soon, but is kind of for a team getting a collection of all the thought, all the yucky stuff, all the thoughts of doubt, all the things that show up for you that uh, maybe get in the way. And then I have a little bit of ammo with me i get this all on a piece of paper and then while they're practicing i'm on the intercom reading them off Mm. not name not saying anybody's name but just doing that and you know maybe it's like typical like i'm not good enough for this team or you know what if i mess up here you know whatever it may be maybe uh maybe do it little league chant style (laughs) (laughs) yeah right that's just a great way to keep extending that to show the (laughs) utility and then so you know, you're reading them and, and probably the, the first couple of times you hear your thought and you're on alert, right? You're like, oh, that's me. Yes. Well, that's, that's my thought that yes. showed up. And then really, you know, after, after doing that, then the take-home messages are like, you know, when every time the announcer speaks, when you play, you're not owned into that. It's still happening. You're not ignoring it actively, but it's still happening. And like, that's the same way we can be with our thoughts. Like, Yes. You don't have to be shaking hands with every thought that you have. And you don't also don't have to be pushing them away. They can just kind of yes. be with you. And uh, when, and then and another extension with that too is like, you know, when I, when I said the thought over the intercom of I'm not good enough, who all thought that was their thought? Yeah. You probably yeah. get, if it's a team of 20, you probably get 15 hands up. And it's like, yes. you see how these things are, you know, you're not the, the, the victim here of, of your thinking. This is kind of something that a lot of people work with. Yes. What we're trying to do is not ignore that stuff, but we are trying to make room for it so that you can be the one that is at the tip of the spear instead of your thoughts and emotions that you might get fused to when you play. Yeah. The, like the Steve Hayes quote, the big secret is that we all have the same secrets. (laughs) How many, how many people on a field, uh, yeah, have the same difficult thoughts that they struggle with while playing, but we all keep everybody keeps it in as if they're the only one wanting yeah. themselves or afraid so cool. they're going to fail or going to lose or that people are going to make fun of them or everybody's got similar things. And that's not a way to like avoid them or minimize them, but it definitely can bring in some a, a little bit more self compassion and lightness to it for sure. And it's just like, you know, that that's where perspective taking is so useful um, for yourself, but also for others. Uh, you know, I don't know the, I don't know a ton of science behind empathy and things like that, but I just, I know that naturally that's not something that I go to right away. You know, I'm nat- naturally I've noticed I'm a bit more like judgmental in the way that I go about things. I'm not saying that's something that I want to be, but something that I've noticed, but one thing that's been really useful for me and I've helped extend um, to the teams that I work with is, you know, knowing that there's a space behind your eyes and the person you're talking to also has a space behind their eyes that makes up them. 
And when that can kind of start to take shape and, you know, going through like, if you were me and I were you, you know, I'd be wearing a beanie, right? It's like mm-hmm. that, that is like, that little shift is like, oh, so, you know, someone who might get mad easy, like if I were you and you're me, I'd be getting mad a lot as a teammate. Mm-hmm. You can start to see like, well, what could I do to be there for them when that, when that happens? And, you know, just you mentioning that, you know, if we all knew that we all had thoughts of doubt and a, a lot of things that maybe get up close and we're not big fans of in the moment, that can kind of create a more like, uh, I guess, connected team when we all know we're going through that. And at the same time, that, that, that price is worth the admission to participate in sport and struggle yes. and get better and, you know, be really happy when you win and just be just as sad as, as when you lose. And that helps to be just kind of a bit more natural and, and flowy yeah. instead of, yeah. you know, so-and-so is really good. She probably doesn't think he or she doesn't think about any doubt or anything. It's like, do we know that? Yes. You want to think that, but let's just see, let's explore that a little bit. Yeah. And now I'm thinking too, that if the whole team was doing this work together it and each individual is through a process of loosening the grip of their own mm. conceptualized self or ego, it really, it would be so useful to kind of extend your sense of self more into the group rather as an individual, because at its, at its worst or when, when the, the ego has its tight grip, you just, everyone on the team is in their own little bubble of self. And that's not very optimal to working as a team. And, but you can't really just like pop that and force somebody to identify more with the collective. You have to go through all of these processes together. So a team doing that together would be so useful. Yeah. Yeah. So you you can't, and that's so perfect of of what you just said is you can't just pop that with a, with a saying, or with we need to come together or we need to, that's fine. We all want that. Every team wants that. So what, what, how do we do that is the real question. And then actually doing it, you know, it's saying, you know, if you've, you've already established where you want to go and you feel like, and you've done the work and you feel like you're getting off course. Sure. That's a great you know reminder, but yeah, it's a, and then the process of what that looks like for every team would be different on actually bringing people together instead of just telling them that we should be a group or a team or be like family or whatever, whatever mantra that could show up. Like if you don't have, you know, some, some capital backed behind those statements and they're just more words in in the organization. Yeah. How many times are you on hold with like a, customer service of a giant corporation and they're talking about their company values. And then when you get on the phone with the person, there isn't like any energy backed behind that. It's like a huge disconnect between the, the, the mantra or the, the stated values and goals and then what's happening. And that can happen in any type of group and especially in sports. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of teams in the world. We take a broad perspective, all those teams you know, unless it's a weird sport, none of them want to lose. Everybody wants to win. Every, no, one, no one signs up to lose the game. So a lot of people know what it takes to win. So then we say, let's do that. That's all fine. Um, but that's what every single other person is doing. So we're still, we still haven't differentiated ourselves yet in, a, in that. Yes. So then it's like, okay, well, it's the actual work. So we're going to practice. Everyone practices. We're going to have goals okay, we can, everyone has goals and we can also chill a little bit on those goals that we want so hard, like the outcome based stuff. And then, so everyone's still doing all that. So then what's, what's the, what's the change and what can a team do that is different from everyone else? It's actually using the same level of depth of the biomechanical depth that you apply to learning your sport, the, the coaching stuff that you've worked on so hard from a coaching perspective, all of that, if we're going to be nuanced about that, then we also have to be nuanced about our psychology too, because yes. you're selling yourself really short. If you're not nuanced about the way that you go about improving your team. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that coaches who, uh, or teams that watch YouTube videos together and then who are on get together. I'm not saying those intentions are bad at all, but if you're, you're not doing that when you're teaching somebody how to serve a volleyball, you're not just showing them a YouTube video and saying, go, um, you're really in there with them and it's individualized to that person. So that same approach being done psychologically, it's like, 
that is just where you're just really doing things with a full heart at that point. And you know that you're being just as nuanced in the way that you teach skills as the way that you help someone uh, deal with what's showing up for them psychologically. Wow. How, um, how common is bringing in psychology and your own, yeah, your own mindset and everything that we're talking about? How common is that in sports nowadays? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but yeah, so it's pretty big. Um, Let's see. So I guess I'll I'll talk about the pros and the cons real quick. Um, So the pros are that there's awareness of that. What happens internally is important sometimes Um, not to be ignored all the time. And, you know, there's a a lot of emphasis on mental health and mental health isn't exactly my area. Um, It's important, right? If that's not taken care of, then I'm not going to just start. If somebody's, you know, and we can talk about diagnosis and all that stuff, you know, the rigidity of that. But if someone is quote unquote diagnosed with something then I'm not going to, uh, and they're not in a place to perform at a high level, I'm not going to push that onto them. Um, but so there's been awareness in that area. Um, but in terms of like getting to a level of performing at a high level in a scientific way, that's where there's a bit of a disconnect, I think, in using some of the more, uh, well-researched and really good method, uh, like studies with really good methodology, that is kind of where there's a little bit of a gap. And that's kind of where I, me and um, like a lot of people with uh, ACBS, Associated Contextual Behavioral Sciences, like that's kind of where we're really trying to pinpoint like, you know, yes, all this other stuff sounds nice, but what can we do like scientifically, behaviorally, from a psychological lens to improve performance. And there's a lot of people doing really good work, um, but there's a lot more people that are, um, I don't know if they're applying science as much as they're applying ideas, which is Mm. fine to a point. But if you know, you're not tracking whether it be psychological flexibility or some processes in which you're trying to get people better. I think there might be a, a bit of a gap there. Um, because maybe it's because we just don't know how to, people think we don't know how to do it. Um, but we can really use data to show, uh, and it, you know, somebody's becoming more psychologically flexible and then we can compare that to a bunch of other things. And I think that area is, is slightly missing. And that's what I would love to fill is, you know, doing a lot of comparative studies between different approaches to getting people better at sport. You know, so mm-hmm. we're doing like control groups of acts, CBT and, you know, people get no sort of training and then just measuring things like that is there's a big gap there. Um, mm. That is to the, that is uh, in the sporting world. Like if something works better than something else, you don't keep doing the thing that doesn't work as well. You shift mm. and, and move towards what is uh, providing most effectiveness. And that is an area where I think there's a, a bit of a gap um, because mm. this is really hard, right? You need somebody who knows the context. You need someone who knows the science and then you also need an organization that welcomes that person in to, to do some work. So it's really difficult to get to that point. Um, but awareness has been really big and a lot more teams hire mental performance coaches, uh, performance psychology consultants, whatever you want to call that role. A lot more people are hiring that. I think the, the utility is um, still being, being worked on, on how to get the most out mm. of that role. Um, mm. So it'd be like, it'd be like if every team knew that, training what like physical training was important and they knew that different exercises were good and they're having people doing it, but there wasn't a really grounded uh, formula or understanding of what's the most effective process for each person and how to work out and how often and what exercises are good for people. Yeah. That's so perfect. Like you wouldn't, that's just the perfect uh, comparison because it's, it's almost an insult to someone's history to, and I'm, psychological history is kind of what I'm an experiential history is what I'm referring to, to just throw techniques at them because it's like, how do you know how this will show up for me? Like mm-hmm. if you want me, you know, to do thought control exercises and you know, that's where I get my most anxious. And then you tell me that I can do that. So then I'm going to perceive it as my fault if I can't do it. Yeah. If other people on the team say it works great for them and then I can't do this. Yes. You wouldn't do that with power cleans. If somebody yeah. can't do power cleans, you're not going to be like, do them. 
<laughs> and if it doesn't work, it's your fault. It's, you know, a competent strength and conditioning coach is going to come up with like adaptive training to still get the same work towards the same thing, just using a different process. Yeah. Very cool. What are your, uh, do you have any dreams or aspirations of what you want to do? I mean, it's, it's really cool to know this is the first episode I've done with anyone doing mm-hmm. act with sports or anything mm-hmm. with sports. And it's so cool to hear you talk that you're really in this and care. And oh, yeah. <laughs> it seems like, uh, people would be really lucky to get to work with you and be really helpful. Like, what are you, what are you moving towards? Like maybe not specific positions or anything, but yeah, what do you, what direction are you moving in? Yeah. So I'm, I'm not super orderly. So I kind of have a lot of directions, but it's all the same, like, you know, it's all towards North, I guess. So I have a lot of things that I want to do and uh, work on, but I would say uh, kind of, the main thing is that I want people to be able to experience a sport so that when they look back at it, they're not like, I missed out on this. I missed out on that. Cause I'm, I know myself and a lot of other people that I played football mm-hmm. with and I'm just other people who've played before. It's like, there's a lot of regret attached with sport and a lot of like, you know, I wish I could have just told myself to take it easy or, mm-hmm. and not, not in terms of waking up early and behaviors that are um, worthy. Like that's all great. I'm not telling people to sleep in and take it easy on yourself, but there's a, a way to do that internally where you can be there for yourself instead of being that voice that is still pushing you, pushing you, pushing you. Cause that can get pretty exhausting. Um, yeah. So I really want to like make it from an individual, individual approach is get people to just maximize their experience in the moment, whatever that looks like for them at an individual level. And then at a, a group level, you know, the, for, for me is would be amazing to be part of a, big organization, whether that be a, a university or um, something to where, you know, I don't need to be the lead guy. I don't need to be the guy that everyone's talking about and shaking hands with, with the president. I don't need to be that. I just need someone who's above me that can be that. And I'll do the work like going to practices and just being part of teams. That to me is just something that I'd really love to, to be a part of with a full organization. I still do that with individual teams, which is, that's still great and rewarding but to be part of an organization to really start applying act and you know, I'm, it's not me, it's act. And I, I feel like a vessel to get the science out of my mouth. It's not mm-hmm. Billy's ideas. It's, it's act and all the research that has been done. Um, and I just try to get that, those words out in a relatable way. So I'd love to do that with an organization and then be able to track that and compare it and get some people who are smarter than me to run research on the data I give them. Like that's mm. when I want to lead that. And that, that'd be really, really cool to, to go about that. So, you know, just, just how you attract performance and quality of uh, behavior. That's the same thing I want to do with, from a psychological lens with organizations, because just to, it really can show like, you know, it's not the, uh, it's not always the methodology that makes the science hard. It's the subject matter. Like and yeah. humans are the most complex subject matter you can get. I think, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's some, <laughs> yeah. some, uh, you know, astrophysicists out there that are like, I don't know, but, uh, you know, humans are pretty complex. So we're going to need a complex yeah. approach to that. Um, yeah. and I would love to be able to deliver that. You know, I can, that's something I can see myself doing now until whenever my time, my time's up. So I guess that's kind of a, a dream or, or goal is to, get a spot within an organization and then just be the one that's out there with them and uh, uh, doing my best to, you know, be pragmatic and have a good time and get messages across at the same time, help extend the research. Um, Cause I'm, I've been a desperate grad student looking for participants. So I'd love to be able to provide some of that data to, to people to do some work with. Uh, that's so cool, man. I, I don't, I have no doubts that you're going to, uh, continue to be on that journey you can tell you're really passionate about this and know what you're talking about and are continued uh open to learning and growing so that's pretty awesome and you're inspiring me because i now i'm thinking about how cool it would be to work with athletes and you know i my i have a side kind of career going on. i'm a videographer so mm. i shoot a lot of like professional and, and uh college sports games so like wow, really cool. basket, UConn basketball if you ever look 
under uh when they play in hartford if you ever look under the hoop there's a guy in a blue shirt that's usually me shooting the games that's and, so cool. but from that view right there you can see how much somebody's inner world plays a role when somebody's at the foul line in a tight game and you see in somebody's face whether they're in their head just like completely being yanked around by their own thoughts or somebody who's able to be really present and how much that makes a difference and yeah i don't know it's just i, I think at, um athletics and the whole sports world is so interesting to apply this stuff so you're inspiring me to well that's great uh one thing you said there about uh like watching someone else at the the free throw line i think that's a perfect example to to really just for like one more time to kind of show the difference in what that experience could be like for somebody with two different approaches so someone uh let's say no knowledge of act they're just up there Sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't. And then when they do go well, you try to make the connections to what went well there. So maybe someone thinks, well, I was thinking about, you know, my, uh, my daughter or something when I made that shot. So then it's like, okay, that's what's going to help me do that. <laughs> okay, so then we get up there, I'm going to think about my daughter and then I'm going to do well. And then what happens when that doesn't work out? Right mm-hmm. now it's like, well, is that thought bad? Like what's, what's about this? Why isn't this working for me? And then that can, you can kind of see how that can lead to, well, what, what if I try this thought out? What if I try that? What if I try that? And then eventually when the moment is big enough, that language isn't going to be there for you that simply. It's going to, yes. There's going to be a lot more language there. So now you're at the free throw line. And instead of the intent being on the process in which you make a free throw, it's on the spotlight is on your brain, not on the hoop where it needs to be. That's one way. And now it's like, okay, well, what's, an, what's another way that could happen? Well, you can show up at the free throw line and just how you're going to show up is the same way that that mind chatter is going to show up with you. It's going to be there. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you think about it, like if you're trying to push against what your thoughts are telling you with one hand and trying to shoot with another hand, that's hard. <laughs> that's hard yeah. for a lot of people to shoot. Do think something yes. one handed? So it's like, well, what can we do to, to free ourselves up and, you know, an athlete who has the space, who's made space for those thoughts of doubt and mind chatter to show up and has that awareness and can think anything and still commit to the behavior. It's like, that is pretty cool. You know, that's where we start yeah. diving into some deep psychological concepts of like the hero's journey of like experiencing, experiencing doubt, experiencing fear and still acting with it, not despite it, but with it. That yeah. is like really cool. And, it, and that experience, you know, you want to talk about extending sport to life. Like once your sport's done, you realize that you did all these things while experiencing emotions and thoughts that are uncomfortable. Yeah, man, that is to me, long-term benefit is just massive there where now when into your life, when you're uh, helping other people or working with your family or, you know, kids and raising them, the approach isn't, let's get you fearless. Let's get you working with yeah. fear. And the relationship yeah. to those thoughts and emotions is just, that's where the, that's where the meaning is found, not with the, the content itself. Wow. Well, what a beautiful way to end there, man. This was, this is awesome. I could talk to you for another hour Seriously. or two. So maybe you'll have to come back on at some point. Yeah, I would love to. I was thinking the same thing. There's so much stuff that you can just dive into it. It's, it's hard to choose the topics that are most worthy. Heck yeah, but I loved it. That was really cool. Uh, thanks again. And would you want to just share how people can connect with you? Sure. Yeah. So on social media, I just have my my company, Wear Performance Group, um, and that's just me and one other person, Corey Cottrell. He's the he's actually the head golf coach at University of South Carolina Beaufort. He's doing a, a great <laughs> job there. Um, and so I've been doing a lot of the the applying, and he helps me tremendously with just being a colleague and, and helping me work through some things. So yeah, aware performance group is, is the company and um, I'm still working. I'm still growing on, on gaining clients and um, really gaining trust in the, in the area and in, in the field and expanding that way in a, a bunch of different, bunch of different sports. And then um, really recommend any, you know, any athlete, any person that's interested in, in performance to, to really take a look at, association of contextual behavioral sciences and um even participate in the special interest group with the uh the sport and exercise psychology kind of influence those are two areas if you're interested in this sort of stuff um a bit more science approach you can 
and to look at, look in those areas. But yeah, there's a lot of people in the afterworld doing really great work with, with sports teams. And I'm, I'm looking to just continue that and, and push it and get people to enjoy what they're doing and, uh, the most they can and really gain meaning from the sports that they're playing. So yeah, the, to sum that up, aware performance group, Instagram, um, I have just a Twitter, Billy Ryan site. And then, uh, yeah, the, uh, to, to get more resources, uh, acbs.com, I think it's .com is really useful for all this, awesome. all the fancy stuff behind the words that we said today. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man, so much. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Tom. It's got me out of my mind. It's got me seeing trees breathe. It's got me learning how heaven and hell are both inside of me. It's got me feeling the love that I bottled so deep. When the entire world kept feeding on my grief.